For the past couple of weeks, we've focused on the struggles of African women and how life impacts them differently. But what happens when you're a woman and society refuses to see you as one? Hi, my name is Sabella Jo. I am 23 years old. I live in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada, and I work at a women's shelter, frontline position. Sabs was born in Botswana, Southern Africa. Biologically, she was born a boy, so her parents raised her to be masculine. For me, I, I was raised a guy, period. Like, I, they raised me as a boy. They would buy me boy clothes, even if I was showing those girl signs. That's something they restricted, you know? As a child, Sabs was confused about many things, but the one thing she was certain of was that she felt like a girl. She wanted to be a girl. Like, as a child, you know, you can't, you can't explain or you can't describe things. But one thing right now, when I look back and, like, the question that you asked is, the thing that was going in my head is, I want to be a girl, and why am I not a girl? Because I am a girl. I feel like a girl, you know? When people would go to the washrooms, I would want to go sit. I would want to pee sitting. I wouldn't want to pee standing because it didn't make sense for me, right? So, yeah, it was it was a no-brainer thing that I was expected to live society as a boy. But then in my head, I'm like, I am a girl. This is how I feel inside. But then, unfortunately, I'm not. My body or my outside does not match the way I'm feeling inside. So that was how I grew up thinking. I always knew I wanted to be a girl. I always wanted the fairy tale. Hi, my name is Aisha Salahuddin, and I like girls. This is a podcast about African women and the different experiences life throws at us just for being women. In today's episode, we explore Sab's transition into womanhood and how she's navigating a world that doesn't accept her for who she is. A quick warning, this episode might be triggering for members of the LGBTQ community. Okay, so was it, could you give me examples of like, maybe things that they would expect from you being raised masculine that probably you didn't really feel like was for you? Um, sports, when it came to sports or playing games, I didn't want to be playing soccer or kicking balls with the other boys. I wanted to do dolls. I wanted to play house and Barbie and cook, you know, different, like what, what your average child or what an average girl would want to do as, as a, um, during her spare time or during her playtime. I wanted to do that. I wanted to paint my nails. I wanted to do my hair as a child, but then those were things that were required of me because I am biologically male or then because they were assuming that I was male. It's hard to explain this, especially if you can't relate. But Sabs just had this strong feeling deep down that she wasn't meant to be a boy. She wanted to express her feminine side as a child to do the things that were traditionally considered female. I asked her if she ever told anyone how she felt. No, it's something that I kept to myself and I just told myself like one day, probably one day, it'll be possible to actually live and express myself the way I wanted to and the way I feel like inside. Like I knew that it would be possible one day for me to be able to match my inner beauty with the outside beauty that I have. So with with growing up, there's there's no there's no disagreement on the fact that I was sneaking in, um, wearing my mom's clothes or in wearing her perfumes. You know, one thing that she used to do a tradition when she'd come from work and she worked with heels that day, she would take them off as soon as she got into the house. 
leave them by the door and then one of us would either like take them to her room but one thing I would do is I wouldn't pick them up I would wear them to her room so you know those are like little moments that I look back at and be like okay I used to be I used to think like why can't my mom wear heels or why can't my little sister grow up to be the one wearing heels but and I can't be the one wearing heels so yeah those are the things that were going on in my mind as um as a young baby When Sabs grew to be a teenager, she slowly started to open up about who she was, not to her parents, of course. Because my journey, like, are we, yeah, my journey started off as I identified back then as a a feminine gay guy. So you wouldn't miss it, the fact that I was loud and proud, like I never hit it. But then those conversations, you don't have them at home. It's a taboo. It's very uncomfortable conversations that... They are hard to bring up in an African household, you know? Sabs knew it would be too much for family and some friends to bear if she ever mentioned that she's supposed to be a woman. So she started small, slowly easing them into understanding that she's not who they think she is. I wish I would have started earlier. That's my wish. But then I had to adjust to societal, societal norms and also find a way to break it down to people for people to accept me and adjust to it properly. I didn't want to just throw it all in their face. I wanted them to take it in levels and to take it just in a little bit. But then, yeah, that's something that I regret doing, like considering the standards and society that we live in right now. I felt like I shouldn't have been able to, I shouldn't have been able to play along and make people or society to adjust to it. I should have just become me. My friends always knew and my friends always knew like okay. there was that attraction because like I said, I was going like I identified as a feminine gay boy back then. Right. So all my friends and everybody knew at school, at school, everybody knew like, OK, Sabs is gay <laughs> and Sabs is not do girls. Everybody knew it was a thing, literally like that one is gay, not not wasting your time. If you're a girl, don't go there. You know, that type of thing. Like it, it was I was comfortable outside in the community, but not comfortable at home because my Christian, my parents were also very strict Christians. They are firm believers even now. So certain conversations are still hard to get. But then, yeah, that, that has changed over time. But then, yeah, I was comfortable outside when I was outside the walls of my home more than I should have been comfortable at home. If you're African, you probably know the home is not the easiest place to have difficult conversations. Many parents are conservative, and you can't exactly tell your strict religious parents that you're gay or that you were born in the wrong body. I did think about it when I was at home. I did think about it, but then I was waiting for the right time. And for me, my head at the right time was when I was 18, and um, I would come, like my plan, I had it all planned out. I'll be, when I turn 18, I'm going to come out to my parents. If they don't accept me, I am going to pack my little suitcase, move to South Africa and start a whole life with just myself oh, and wow. anybody who would accept me. I think it's important to mention that people like Sabs don't have it easy. The LGBTQ community is not welcome in many parts of the world. 
Once people perceive you as gay, lesbian, bisexual, trans, queer or intersex, you immediately become a target for discrimination and hate. We bring in the studio this morning one of the gay rights activists, Mr. Should I call you Mr.? Sure. Pepe Julian Onzima. Thank you for coming in. Thank you for Good morning. Morning to you. Why are you gay? Who says I'm gay? You are gay. Do you personally dislike homosexuals? Of course, they are disgusting. What, what, what sort of people are they? How can you go? Uh, I, I, don't, uh, I never knew what they were doing. That's how I've been told recently that uh, what they do is terrible. That's the voice of Uganda's president, Yoweri Museveni, from a 2016 interview expressing his hatred towards members of the LGBTQ community. He's not alone. Many world leaders feel the same way. According to data from the BBC, there are 69 countries that have laws criminalizing homosexuality. Nearly half of them, like Nigeria, Chad, Egypt and Ghana, are African. In Botswana, where Sabs is from, it's no longer criminal to be homosexual. But many people there are still homophobic. Sabs tells this story about a party she attended one weekend with some of her classmates in 2008. Um, I got invited to a girlfriend's party, one of my friend's parties, um, birthday friend's parties. She was like one of these popular girls who had money and stuff, right? So to go to these parties meant a whole lot of a deal. And for you to get an invite to such parties was a big deal, right? So I went to this party. And when I got to the party, um, it was just weird because everybody was like, oh, here's a drink. Like everybody was super nice, which is not what they usually or how they usually are at home. No, no, not at home. Sorry. At school. So it was kind of like odd for me. But I was like, you know what? It's a weekend. Probably they're like relaxing and it's a party. Right. So they kept on like trying to give me drinks and definitely I was drinking. Right. But then um, as we were drinking one of my friends she went to a different school though came to me and said um there's this guy that you know he wants to talk to you and i knew this guy i go talk to him we have a conversation he says that he likes me he's into me but he'd want us to talk like after the party or continue the conversation after the party so i was like okay makes sense he's we call them down low so the guys who are in the closet closeted men are called down low so i was like okay fine he's probably in the down low so he wants doesn't want people to or people to make it obvious or make it seem obvious that he's hitting on me or he likes me so i bought that whole story but when i went back home after that night i started like replaying instead of replaying and the whole night that i replayed like i was being forced to drink and then They'll try give me drinks. They'll try make me drinks and give me drinks, even though it was the same drink. So it was like, okay, f kind of weird-ish. I fast forward. I go back to school on Monday. I tell one of my girlfriends, like, oh yeah, you know, this guy said he liked me. He wanted to talk to me and he wanted to continue this whole thing after the party. But I just ended up going home. Thank God, it was the night ended up safe. And then she ends up going to tell everybody. Then it gets back to him. After school, he just causes a scene, decides to pick me. After school, I have all the times when everybody's leaving the gate to come confront me and attack me. So he ends up slapping me in a crowd and people are laughing. And surprisingly, my friend is also laughing. No. I end up getting... She's yeah, not she was friend. actually... No, she's not... She was, she not was laughing. <laughs> she was 
dying hysterically. No, but that's she's a friend not I told. Friend. She wasn't there. She wasn't there at the party. Okay, because she wasn't there at the party. But, but she went. Was, was she about. not the same person who went and told everyone? No, who told her in confidence. Okay, that was yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, it is. It, it is her. Sorry, it is yeah. her, the same. person. No, she was not your friend. Because what the hell? So could you tell me, like, why did he make that scene to slap you? Was he pretending like he never said that? Yeah, yeah. So I think he was trying to do damage control, and in slang, he'd say, meaning this gay guy is just trying to be all over me. But then that was not the case. The entire experience hurt Sabs. She figured the party was a setup to hurt and embarrass her for being openly feminine and gay. Our friendship is really fragile, but then I feel like we would have moved on. I could have been the person to move on and forgive her from that situation if she told me years ago when it happened. So now you're going to tell me two years after I've gone through this whole shame and embarrassment and mental trauma of not trusting anybody including her because i'm like i told you something in confidence and you went out and told everybody so it made me feel sad it crushed me so yeah when it comes to being open in friendships i kind of i kind of yeah these things stay with you so it's not easy for me to warm up to somebody i have to read you in order for me to let you in you know but then also one thing it has taught me is my gut never lies. If there's something wrong and my gut is not sitting well with me, I should just act on my gut feeling. Because my gut feeling is my sixth sense, which I've learned. So every time there's something and then I have this feeling in my gut, I should know that it's not for me. I shouldn't do it. I should leave as soon as possible. So yeah, it, it crushed me. I won't lie. Just before she turned 18, Sabs moved to Canada to join her sister and mom. Her mom was already working there. She says Canada was liberating. But it was liberating to come to school here because I ended up doing um, a year and a half of high school. So seeing queer people was liberating. And, you know, just knowing that you're in a country that's free, like, like that allows you to express your, your freedom to, to the maximum. It was really liberating. But then at the same time, I had to learn and adjust to it as I was going because there's certain things that I'll still be doing and I'll try to catch myself and be like, who's watching? Is there anybody watching? But then as time went on, I learned like, okay, nobody actually gives two shits about what you're doing, you know? Who you see, who you like, and what you wear doesn't bother majority of the people, you know? So that's, it was very liberating. So would I be right to say you felt safe? Is that an exaggeration? Yes. Oh, okay. It's not an exaggeration. And um, for people to see, um, for queer people and trans women to say that they feel safe, the safe is a big thing, you know, mm-hmm. and safety had been like looking over your shoulder isn't a nice thing, you know. I still have to look over my shoulder because I'm a black trans woman, but then I think it was it's, it's been easier here because I'm not paranoid about what so-and-so would say or going down the street and being pointed and looked at in, in, a, in a derogatory and 
um, disrespectful manner, you know. So it's it's different in that sense that I yeah. still have um, space to live and I still have the safety to be myself. But then there's there's still loopholes here and there. If you're wondering why Sabs refers to herself as a black trans woman, it's because Canada gave her the chance to transition. She no longer had to worry about what people had to say or how her community could perceive her. This is not to say Canada does not have homophobes who hate people like her. Just that when compared to Botswana, she felt safer. I asked her to explain what it meant to medically transition. The process is like um, I went through a community health center that helps um, queer people. So one thing they did is they linked me up with the psychiatrist and did psychological evaluations to see if actually this is something that I wanted to do or a decision that I wanted to take. With transitioning, you could either be on hormones or off hormones, but I wanted to go on hormones. Some okay, so women what does it want... mean to be on hormones? Like, what does it do? So hormones are, um, they kind of build up the feminine sides and like the feminine aspects. So you develop your boobs when you're on hormones. You develop like your breasts. For, for, for me, transitioning to female, I start developing breast tissue. I start, my hips start getting wider. So literally those medication and the hormones, they make me go through female puberty to achieve a certain feminine look. But then with that is... They only go by genetics. So whatever outcome you're going to get from the hormones are just like those are just based on genetics. They're not based on on just the medication. So you do that whole counseling and the psychiatrist evaluation and then you start seeing a doctor. So a doctor will start giving you options on medications to go on. I was talking to a doctor for about a series of six weeks, I believe. So they would do like intensive blood tests to see if like your body and your metabolism can actually handle. Because these are very much, these medic- medications that are on are very life altering and they're very, like they're, 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 they're permanent. Like most of these things are irreversible. Right, so if I stop, if I stop my hormones right now, I'm gonna end up with the body that I still have. So, transitioning, oh, I do understand. Wow. So you can't stop, like you can't stop. You have to continuously, like, is it forever or for how long? Oh no, it depends. Like you can stop. You can stop after you've achieved your your after you've achieved the full, like the full effects of the medication. But then you start seeing results in within three or four years. That's when the maximum results start showing. Right. Sab says transitioning is a different experience for everyone. Her journey is different from that of the next trans woman. She started transitioning medically in 2020, but her social transitioning started a few years ago. A social transition is a way to come out and express your gender to people. In her case, it was her letting people know that she's a woman, changing her pronouns and mannerisms. Yeah, what are the challenges of like, I mean, so you've been trans, you know, transitioning for a while medically, um, yeah, I know it's hard and long. So what are some of the challenges, you know? Girl, it's 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 also it's the challenges for me that I'm having is also adjusting to the new body. <laughs> yeah, because your body is like constantly changing, right? And you have to adapt. Yes, yeah. yes. So there's things that were not there that are now there. <laughs> Extra layers of meat, you know? So I, I, 
mental health is very important while transitioning. That's one thing I'd always say to people and I always tell. So if you know somebody or if you know somebody going through a transition or knowing somebody planning to go through transition, transitioning, they need a very strong support system because at times we tend to doubt ourselves. And then with hormones also, I'm blocking all, I'm blocking all my masculine hormones. So all the testosterone in my body, I'm trying to flush it out and replace it with oestrogen. Never lived with a whole bunch of oestrogen in my life until I was 23. So that's a whole different experience, right? So it's, yeah, it's also emotional and me being me. So those are the challenges I'm facing. It's like the emotions. Um, Am I being too compassionate? Am I losing myself? Am I not being... Adjusting to her new body is not the only challenge that comes with being openly trans. Yes, we've had, I've had topics and Instagram also is a place where people would say the most ghetto things, the most unspeakable things like social media has become the the streets the guts even socially wise like i've been in situations where people would be like oh yeah like um trans girls trans women are not women but then you'd be like describe a woman you know you don't have one definition or one description of a woman but one description or definition of a woman that i usually get is people would say a woman is somebody who was born or, or biologically female, but it's just like they could be born biologically female, but it's how they identify that matters. That's female. Then when you hit them with that, they'll switch to, oh no, a female is somebody who can have babies or have children. So it's like, um, are you saying women who cannot have children due to certain courses or natural courses, be it whatever, are not women? So do we devaluate? Do we devalue women who can who can't have children? Do we not call them women? So yeah, there's no definition of your women of of, of or a title of a woman because I could I I consider trans women women. Trans yeah. women are women. Sabs finds that many people don't consider her a woman because she's trans. That already comes with a lot of discrimination, but it's worse because she's a black trans woman. According to a Forbes report, 350 transgender people were killed globally in their own homes in 2020. This gives an idea of the kind of danger people like her are in. I do. I do have um, a safe space. My my home is a safe space. So in order, like when I do, I don't invite anybody else. Um, I don't invite I don't invite people, just random people into my space because this is my happy space. You know, I don't like negative or bad energy around me. So I do have a space and I do have a family that I've, 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 I've handpicked myself. And people always think that family and blood, uh, uh, and especially Africans and black people will always refer to like um, the whole proverb that says blood is thicker than water, you know, that whole thing. But then in what matters is family, but family is also chosen family, you know. And I've picked my family and a group of people where we can have these type of dialogues with no disrespect and understanding and still um, have an open conversation about these things that happen. I do get frustrated and I do sit my friends down and tell them about the frustrations that are happening around me to avoid them from doing and you no, know, to avoid them from doing these little microaggressions 
that they might notice, might not notice that they're doing when they're around trans people, if they're around trans people. So yeah, I do have um, a close space and my social media is also my safe space. I let them know, I let it know, open about um, the importance of valuing trans lives, especially black trans lives. Yeah. By the way, if you're wondering if Sabs has finally told her parents about her transition, she kind of has. A few years ago, before she moved to her own place, she sat them down in their living room and told them she was pansexual. So, pansexuality is the sexual, emotional, or romantic attraction towards people regardless of their gender identity or sex. If you're pansexual, you can pretty much be attracted to anyone. Her parents didn't fully understand it at first, but she explained it to them and they accepted her. It was a very emotional moment. She hasn't told them the entire story yet, that she's medically transitioning. She wants to ease them into it. It helps that she doesn't live with them anymore, so they don't get to see her often. It's, 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 it's very empowering. It's, 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 it's humbling. It's comforting because um, not everybody could say that they were able to have that dialogue with their parents. Not everybody has the opportunity to migrate and move to a different country where your life matters and whatever you do is is is, is just based on you and society does not give a fuck or two shits about what you do and who you sleep with. It's 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 a very humbling because I also tend to look I used to think that I've I've had it rough or I have it rough, but humbling experiences i have i like i said i i work at a women's shelter so i see women from different walks of life and my experiences compared to other people out there i i see them as not i i see them as nothing you know that's why i'm able to look back and laugh at things that have happened to me because trust me there's somebody out there who's getting kicked out because of their gender Somebody out there who's been set up and, and murdered because of their sexuality and their gender expression. Sabs talks a lot about her friends turned family. She has this amazing friend group that she can lean on for support all the time. So I invited them to join the podcast for a few minutes. I wanted to meet this group that she couldn't stop gushing about. When I met Sabs, hmm, I met Sabs at a friend's birthday like five years ago. Hi. Um... I met Sabs a little over a year ago, just a little bit over a year ago when I first got to Ottawa, Canada. I You just heard Vicky and Z. They met Sabs when she just moved to Ottawa, Canada. Melvin was on the call too. He knew Sabs from when they were still in Botswana. But we can't use his audio in this episode because it wasn't great. Sorry, Melvin. Obviously, Sabs has experienced a lot of discrimination and... Sometimes it's, um, you know, microaggressions. Other times it's like macroaggressions. And I guess just as someone who has to watch her go through that, like how does it make you feel knowing like, oh my God, like, well, this is my friend and this is what people are, people are just being mean to her. I guess I'm trying to fish for your emotions. It's not, it's not a good thing, right? It's not a good feeling. So that's why I try to be there as much as I can. Um, Yeah. What what can I say? I mean, it's not the best feeling. I've seen like people be rude. So again, I just have to be there as much as I can, and um, I try to like encourage her 
I really see her like my sister. Like the same advice I would give my younger sister is the same thing I would tell Sabs. Because um, a little bit older, you know, I'm not wiser, but I've been through some stuff. So I feel like I see her go through too. Like a normal woman will go through some regular discriminations and all that. So I just give her the advice. It's not easy, but yeah, I try to be there for her as much as I can be. That was Vicky. I asked Z the same question. Like we would go, like there was this one particular place that we went out together and I I was hovering around her so much. I think she I actually made her uncomfortable with how much hovering I was doing because we were in a room full of strangers. We only both knew one other person um where we went and I was I, I felt incredibly protective and incredibly worried for her and paranoid. We had had a previous conversation about how every time she goes into a room, she first thing she does is to look for the exits and uh uh, and then that kind of feeling gets really heightened when you're in a group of strangers that, you know, you don't know what they're thinking. You don't know how they feel. You don't know if they're violent. Um, so it's this overwhelming mothering feeling the where you feel like I need to protect her <laughs> from everything. <laughs> so I, I suppose that's not really healthy, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's sort of the feeling in some situations. It's definitely not like that when we're in our own circles and we're comfortable and happy and things like that. But outside in a group of strangers, it gets very worrying. Sabs admits that her friends constantly trying to shield her from possible violence or discrimination can be annoying. But she gets that it's because they love her and they want her to be safe. Sabs is a sweet person, you know. She's always she, she's always there for me. Like She tries to be there for me. So that's what I love about Sabs. She's always ready to listen. You know, when I want to cry or something. So I really, really love that and appreciate that for sure. She feels the same way, by the way. I love them all. I love them so much. Mm-hmm. I love them. I, I really, really, really love them. Like for me, expressing the word, using the word love, I don't throw it out loosely. So when I use the, the four-letter word, I actually mean it. And yeah, I'm, I'm happy that I'm, I'm able to like enter and join a sisterhood and a sisterhood that's really supportive and that has held me and taken steps and decisions with me and supported me through hard and good and the ugly and the bad and the the good and the bad like it's 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 humbling for me that's why I really love and that's why I enjoy do spending time with my girlfriends Having a close friend group does not completely shield Sabs from the outside world. I mean, people are still mean and cruel to black trans women. But knowing that she has this amazing support system makes it easier to navigate a world that refuses to acknowledge her for who she is. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm blessed to have actually been around people that are supportive and, and, and love me because not everybody gets that type of support. And it's been hard. I won't lie. There's days where I thought that it'll be easier with me laying in, in in a grave and nobody would care about gay old me or trans old me. Some days I feel like that, but then it's it's just a drive that keeps me pushing because it's like, um, there's a girl out there that would hear this. The reason why I also did this is like to, you know, broaden and educate people to somebody who might learn from my story, you know? It's, it's, it's about representation. I want to be the tool that I did not get growing up. So I want to be the voice for people that, you know, don't see 
or don't see that representation or don't have those conversations happening around them. Thank you for listening to this episode of I Like Girls. If you want to get in touch, visit ilikegirls.co. Also, if you like this episode, please rate and review us on whatever platform you're listening on. This episode is produced by me, Aisha Salahuddin. Audio engineering is by Mo Isu. Samia Talamutu is our editor. Mira Momoyele is our graphic designer. And our theme music is by Bangs with a double G. The other music you heard throughout this episode is by Blue Dot Sessions. Special thanks to our partners, Radio Now 95.3 FM, Newswire Nigeria, and Femme Africa. Okay, I'll catch you all on the next episode.